Welcome to Footnotes of History, the podcast that bunglingly intervenes into issues that are none of its concern. With you as always are myself, Daniel Nesbitt, and our very own great power, Tim Philplot. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. It's all right. Well, I think these intros are getting more and more complicated. They are. Uh, it doesn't really help that I've written it down not as you wanted it to be written. Well, it's close <laughs> enough. I should be able to deal with it. I should be able to deal with it. historically trolling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> What are we, um, what are we, record, what are we uh, talking about today? Uh, today we're talking about the Berlin Congress, which is, yeah. I think, probably the lesser known of the three big congresses people will know in history, which is Vienna Congress yes. uh, yeah, and, yeah. and obviously Versailles yes, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, was gonna, the... I was going to say, I think you were going to suggest one that I didn't know anything about. <laughs> it's a test. Indeed, um, but yeah, I think yeah. This, this is one that happens in 1878 and um, it really has big ramifications for the, Bal- the area we know now as the Balkans. Um, and yes. it's, as with the others, it was basically the great powers come together in a room and decide what other people can do with their lives, yes. effectively, yeah, and yeah, yeah. what other countries are going to be happy we with. We redraw the map of Europe, yeah. well, the, the uh, southeastern map of Europe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because it's... Uh, I, um, I never studied this at university, never studied at school. It's part of the... I think it's all part of the, um, the Middle Europe uh, question which came up in the interwar period, in, um, uh, in the interwar period between the First World War and Second World War. And obviously, it also laid the foundations for the First World War, uh, or sort of various um, tensions and um, rivalries. Um, but very, uh, you know, very little detail on it essentially. So it's been really mm. interesting researching this episode. Yeah, it completely has, and I think um, it's an area that a lot of our listeners probably won't know as well, yes. because it's still today the area known as the Balkans, kind of a bit undiscovered by many sort of people in Western yes. Europe and they still have a bit of a sort of generally just here as, as yes. it was in the late 90s. Well it's been stuck behind the Iron Curtain for exactly. quite a long time. Yeah, so, um, yeah I, think, I don't think history has really been particularly kind to the yeah, it has and I think we can definitely see as, you, as you'll probably see in these two episodes that we're going to do on the Congress it's kind of one of the first of many ham-fisted interventions that the, the great sort of great powers, powers have on the region yeah, which yeah. kind of basically harms it and gives it this sort of I think probably unearned impression of being a particularly, vi- a particularly yeah. violent area. Well I mean I don't know. I mean, would you say it's unearned? I mean, I don't know. I, so I think when potentially, yeah, maybe unearned to violent, but um, obviously, bulk, the phrase balkanization is used to sort of describe something that's fragmented or uh, unstable, I suppose, which, I mean, as we're going to see, is. Yeah, it is unstable, but I think it's mainly, the instability mainly comes from other countries, yes, so big countries like ripping into about, it and yes, stuff and like trying yeah. to redraw things. They definitely don't make it any better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, kind of without further ado, yeah. we're going to be talking in this episode about sort of the background to the Congress, where it came from, and also the main players, which are the great powers that we've talked about in many episodes before, what they wanted, and what they were kind of bringing to the table. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about the conference itself, how it developed, and then those tricky sort of end products that it brought with it. Um, So hopefully... Over the two episodes, it'll be kind of a yeah. interesting one for listeners, and they'll be well, able to think, kind of fully yeah. understand the consequences and what led up to it. We'll sketch out, yeah. So we'll sketch out the details in this. Uh, sorry, we'll sketch out the uh, the outlines. Yeah, we'll sketch out the outline in this episode and fill in the details with, with further episodes. I, I think maybe we could even uh, do a third episode on this, but maybe, maybe that's uh, mm. being too ambitious. Well, I think it's going to fit into kind of a, a it's kind of a bit of a looser yes, mini series around yes. the Balkans area, an which we're, an event mini series, which we're hoping to. Yes. Force on to listen and see. Yes. Um, so, uh, Congress of Berlin. Yep. 13th of June to the 13th of July, 1878. Yes. Who's there? So, the main players are the, the usual suspects, effectively, which are Britain, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Russia, 
France and Italy, which I think you would think are just there different. happily just to be there, to be yeah. honest, at nominally a great power. I think they were just trying to keep them happy, weren't they? Yeah. I think, I think, I think uh, there was a lot of, um, although Germany had obviously sort of proved itself to be quite a menace mm. by basically bulldozing the rest of Europe into its own unification, Italy had kind of unified itself almost under the radar and everyone yeah. was a bit suspicious. And it's had so, no great sort of victories, yeah. like there's no Franco Prussian war for the Italians. Exactly. Um, well, well, there was, but, uh, but yeah. It, 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 well, yeah, it, it, I know what you mean. Yeah, isn't yeah. there no stunning sort of yes. oh god, it everyone, everyone wake up? Yeah. The, like, well, I mean, you could argue that the Italians won the Franco-Prussian War in the sense that they were unified. But yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just going off on a tangent here. But yeah, no, 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 so you had the great powers, yes, um, and then you also had the sort of small powers from within the region. So Romania, Bulgaria, Greece, um, Serbia. Serbia turned up and basically Lots allowed to, yeah, allowed yeah. to speak when. The Great Powers let them, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah effectively, yeah, yeah. they were just there to sit there. And the Ottoman and Empire. Ottoman Empire were there, but they kind of, yeah, um, as we'll come on to it, they were kind yes. of basically just like this whipping boy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so just broadly, before we go into the episode, obviously we're talking about the Balkans. Yeah. That nowadays, that roughly refers to countries such as Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, yeah. Slovenia, Serbia, Montenegro, Kosovo, North Macedonia, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, and Greece. So that's the yes. region we're talking about for the main part of the episode. Yeah. And I think we'll kind of run through kind of themes such as the decline of the Ottoman Empire, Pan-Slavism, what the great powers are up to in the region, and then yes. we'll go into... And why it's what, important, I and, think. And, well, yeah, exactly, why it's important. And then we'll go into, to finish off, what they all wanted from this conference. Yes. So should we start with Ottoman Empire and its decline? Yes, well, um, it, yeah, so the decline of the Ottoman Empire is kind of the big, the big, the, um, the big question that's been hanging over Europe for quite a while. Um, I think they refer to it as the, the Eastern Question, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, the uh, the Ottoman Empire is the, I suppose, the the inheriting state that was part of the um, the, the sort of the, the Ottoman conquest of former Christian lands in um, Constantinople uh, and uh, and Jerusalem and so on, and then all the way up to Vienna, you know attempted to take Vienna in sixteen. Uh, 83 or 1529 and 1683 um, and and sort of at its height held territory all the way along North North Africa and into sort of Western Asia but at this point in time it's very much uh, falling behind industrialization is not something that's kind of happening in a big way in the Ottoman Empire it's kind of receding gradually um, it's been uh, it's sort of um, it's Sorry, go on. It's being, it's kind of, as you said, it's basically a shadow of its form yes. itself at this point, and it's it's consistently refer- being defeated in small battles and big battles. As yeah, well. but, and it's being its yeah. authority is being kind of chipped away at yes. by, as you said, it's it's like at the high water mark, it's it's territory went all the way up to sort of mid Austria, Hungary, that type of area. Yes, and it's been gradually pushed back, and now areas around its sort of um, European hinterlands are yes. starting to basically secede. So you find. Yeah. Romania, which just basically just splits off yeah. um, under Russian protection, effectively yeah. in the eighteen sixties, late eighteen twenties, Greece splits off as well. So yeah. all around the edges being kind of nibbled away at, and it's slowly become weaker and weaker. And it's and as you said, industrialization has just basically Passed not happened. Yeah. 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 Um, the, 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 one of the fundamental things as well is obviously the Ottoman Empire is actually a, is a Islamic sort of empire. I was going to say Islamic state. Which, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it is, it is yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and and very you know, and and quite sort of um, unsurprisingly quite ruthless against some of its Christian subjects. But these these Balkan areas are actually most well majority Christian sort of Orthodox countries. So there's this, there is this affinity for the population, 
uh, to look to Russia and Austria-Hungary um, for for sort of assistance in throwing mm-hmm. off the, the Ottoman yoke, I suppose. Yeah. I think, which causes more tension. I think just rounding off the uh, the the Ottoman Empire section is to way think of it now is the is the phrase I think has basically been um, coined about it, but then used for various yes. other countries around the world is is the sick man of Europe. Yes. And at the moment, there's two, as there's kind of two. At this, at this point in history, there's two kind of views of what to do about it. There's one yes. that's basically just to euthanize it and let yeah. it die. <laughs> just, well, and I then, think pull the trigger. Just yeah, 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 pull the yeah. And then Which there's it's Russian, Russia, Russia and Austria-Hungary. Basically, they're just poised, waiting to scoop up yes. anything they can from yeah. it. Yeah. And then the sort of the Western element from France and Britain is kind of like, how do we keep our life support um, to protect both our interests in the Mediterranean yeah. and also the money we've pumped into it? Because France yes. and Britain have been loaning the Ottomans lots of money oh, um, and not, therefore they I did not realise yeah, that so apparently okay, France that makes, was its, sense. France was its main creditor followed swiftly by Britain yeah. as you've seen as we can see obviously Crimean War is the big example yes. of where they went in to try and forcibly protect it and protect their interests in it yeah. um, so they're the two kind of dominant theories well, do we kill it or help it stagger on for yeah, a bit or, effectively or keep it going yeah, yeah. I mean they're, they're, it's, it's interesting actually because the great powers are they're all they're, I feel like they're, they're all over the place in this kind of particular period of history and this and this region because they're as you say they're loaning money to the ottomans they're sort of uh they're not gonna fight on behalf of the ottomans against russia or austria but at the same time they're also they're also doing quite bizarre things like the uh, i think it's the um the crisis of the uh the um crisis of the key, uh, crisis of the Crisis of the, uh, the the keys to the holy places, essentially, um, in Jerusalem. The Ottomans had said, uh, okay, well, uh, Christians can have the keys to the holy, you know, the, the various churches that are in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, without sort of specifying which type of Christians are allowed them. And they sort of, they, they played off the, the Russians, the Russian Orthodox, or the Eastern Orthodox, against the Roman Catholics, which are obviously represented by France and, and you know, Mayhem ensued essentially, and I think France ended up sailing into the area with its newest battleship. Anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, there's, there's some serious like bull in a china shop mm. kind of activity going on here. Yeah, and so as you said, as this is basically the Ottoman Empire in the in the time we're speaking about. It's being having bits picked off it by left, yes. right, and centre by small powers in the Balkans. It's being yes. bullied by the great powers as well. Yes, and so that's the sort of the, the one sort of. Uh, wing of our um, background. The next wing, I think, is yeah. Uh, so the next wing is it follows on follows on from the sort of Ottoman Empire's kind of retreat. I suppose is the sort of uh, instability caused by that retreat. So obviously you had one one sort of uh, I mean theoretically one power ruling over this entire territory, and they have lots of different sort of things popping up and different types of state, different types of ruler. Um, yeah, so causing obviously causing massive instability. So we've got if you look at all the countries that are sort of in the region, Serbia only sort of popped up. The, Serb- the Serbian Revolution, uh, they actually gained independence from the Ottomans in eighteen thirty uh, after a series of uprisings between eighteen hundred and eighteen fifteen. Um, Romania was originally three states, the new the Danubian republics, um, and became unified in eighteen sixty two, and then. Unified with Hungary, which is even more confusing, in eighteen sixty seven, and then was acknowledged as uh, full independent eighteen later after this in eighteen eighty one, um, and then you got Bulgaria, which are under the San Stefano Treaty, which we're about to talk about, um, was sort of quite was Greater Bulgaria, a, a very large area uh, encompassing um, three regions, which are, which are no longer part of Bulgaria, 
um, uh, and then um, other countries like Montenegro, which um, sort of developed a form of unique, sort of a unique autonomy within the Ottoman Empire, um, and then taken over by other countries in between, and then becoming um, Austrian in 1797, and then becoming independent again in 1878 as, as a result of this congress. So you've got these, basically all these borders and rulers are all moving around all the time in this area um, and causing huge instability. But there is one underlying theme, I think, which we're going to talk about, which kind of unites the whole of these slightly anarchic um, nations, I suppose. And that is the sort of feeling of pan-Slavism. Yeah, and it's sort of um, in the name, you can really get that what it's meant to be, which is effectively across different countries and boundaries you unite the Slavs effectively yes um and it's one of those interesting things I think as Tim was mentioning before we started recording it's kind of developed after in the wake of Napoleon yes. crashing across Europe yes. in one instance and then developed from a cultural movement and sort of shared history into a more political and politically minded movement after 1848 obviously yeah. lots of other countries gain their nationalist identity yeah Slavs obviously don't necessarily have that but they have a sort of more political awakening around this time yes as we said, Ottoman Empire is dying. Effectively, it's leaving behind it instability. You know, this could be a chance for them to rule yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because um, this is you know exactly what happened in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly what happened in. Uh, well, I mean, it is, it is kind of what happened in Germany. If you count Austria and Denmark as kind of semi-imperial forces, yeah, yeah. bringing bits of Germany apart. Um, and uh, obviously, the big dread about the Congress is that a pan-Slavic state, as part of a sort of a, I think, I think you know, with a core as Greater Bulgaria, um, with its sort of heartland in Macedonia, where Alexander the Great was from, and all of the various histories related to him, might create some kind of Slavic empire down on the great power's southern flank. Mm. Which is it's an interesting one, but it's it's also there's also other fears yeah. around it at the same time, which is that what exactly Russia's going to do with this yes. pan-Slavism. So Russia yeah. saw itself very much as the Parts of Russia, it saw itself as very much as the Slav leader, yes, and you know, yeah. they should be going out and fought, and you know, being sort of like a father figure to the, the mini Slav nations and helping them out of um, Ottoman dominance yeah. to bring them, of course, under Russian dominance. Yeah, yeah. Um, they yeah. couldn't be on their own. Yeah. Um, but so it's one of those interesting sort of movements in that it's it's in Russia in particular, it's all things to all people. So yes, yeah. industrialists see it as a way of uh, bashing the West for having like, tariffs and saying we should be trading with our Slavic neighbours wow. rather than yeah, our yeah. Russian ones. The Russian Orthodox, Orthodox Church saw it as a way of hitting back against uh, Catholicism and Islam. Yeah, yeah. Um, peasants thought it could be a unifying thing against the Russian yeah. Tsar and helping him force change there. Intellectuals use it as a way of criticising Germanism within the ruling elites. Yeah. So it's one of those things like it gets pulled around by everyone to fit what they want the which is exactly yeah. and then it's, did... it's really interesting actually because Austria, Austria-Hungary is kind of uh, lingering in the background here isn't it mm-hmm. I, I originally thought they were as interested as Russia to try and take control of this but obviously they're completely different religions so. well, yeah well, this is this is yeah. the this is the thing so basically whereas in Russia it's kind of like being used by basically to hit each other yeah um, Austria as we'll come into a bit later Austria-Hungary were kind of sort of very differently so Austria yes saw the Balkans as a way of basically regaining their lost influence in a region. So obviously they've been kicked out of Italy, kicked out of Germany, effectively. So the Austrians were like, oh, we need to find a new place to dominate. And they they, they were like, oh, let's go, let's have a look at Bosnia and that area. But then... And they've they've still only got a finger hold on Hungary as well. Yeah, exactly. And this is where the big issue for them comes from. The Hungarians 
the Magyar people yes. were very, very concerned about bringing more Slavs into the empire because it would then, <laughs> then it, like push them down into third place. Yes. They, were, so they were very much against it. Yeah. But yeah, going back to Pan-Slavism itself, um, within the region, you have your two, in their eyes, Slav leaders, which are Bulgaria yeah. and ethnic Bulgarians against ethnic Serbians. So yes. Serbia and Bulgaria both wanted the leadership to be, well, leadership under the cloak of Russia yeah. to be like the first power. Yes. Um, and so they... In the lead up to the conference and the end of the conference, it's very much who's going to be dominant within the Slav areas. Is yes. it going to be Serbia or is it going to be Bulgaria? Yeah. And Russia. Do you, do you think that? Um, do you think there was a fe- there was a feeling then that Russia would would dominate them? But this is this is it. It's Russia... not like they would they would think. Okay, well, thanks, Russia. You've uh, sorted sorted out the Ottomans for us. Uh, now <laughs> go away. No, I think that I think yeah. a lot of them were quite realistic about what they could achieve. So yeah. both Serbia and like the. Serbia when it became independent and then the Bulgarians with independence movements were active in trying to court Russian attention to yes. help them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think they used them to sort of as a, would hope that Russia would remain a shield after that, mm-hmm. um, which would obviously bring with it sort of Russian influence. I'm not sure they particularly wanted it, but I think yeah. they were kind of realistic about the fact that if they were going to need use Russia as kind of like a protector, it was going to have its have way. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the within Russia itself, as we said, Pan-Slavism means a lot of different things. Yes. Important to note that Tsar Alexander II, who was in charge, wasn't particularly keen in being a Slav leader himself. He didn't really want to be this sort of, I'm going in and launching huge expensive wars to free yeah. these people. But within his own administration, within sort of high rationals, there was a few people who were very pro it. So Nikolai Pavlovich Ignatiev, who mm-hmm. was the Russian consul in Constantinople, it seems like the big leader within the Russian circles of Pan-Slavism. And he... Um, basically wanted to get to a point where different forces could align so that Russia would have a free hand to sort of shape the Balkans in their image yes. and as, we, as we've covered bring them out of Ottoman uh, domination into Russian domination yeah. and for the sort of first segment of um, our episode he's very much backing Serbia as this sort of right. horse to lead to spark off the sort of yeah. domino effect that would push the Ottomans out Yes, um, and he basically yeah, I mean, it makes sense because obviously Serbia have been, they've sort of been a cohesive nation for the longest, I suppose, in that area. Yeah, and they've kind of they've built... sort of free. They've kind of, yeah, they've sort of been building themselves up as kind of like a, a Slav, again, a Serb defender, sorry, Slav defender, mm. and a, a kind of like a a good ally for Russia to have in the region. Um, unfortunately, it went really badly wrong because they declared war on Turkey and the Ottomans, mm. and um, they... <laughs> At this point, they had, a, shall we say, a very, very low industrial base in terms of actually building weapons. They had, apparently had one factory in the country which was producing weapons. They had 460 officers who had been trained in their army, augmented by 700 Russian sort of mercenaries who descended to try and help their yes. Slav brother in, uh, plus 125,000 pretty much peasant troops. Right. And then they they were just like basically charged into the Ottoman um territories and got completely annihilated yeah and then this so this left the basically the road open to belgrade and the the ottomans were about to just pile in through and effectively take over the country and potentially mm. when russia just sort of said no intervene everything resets back to pre-war status it's funny isn't it because um, it's almost like they're kind of like oh yeah have a go have a go yeah and it's and like, like oh, oh no, not that. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. A bit bit strong yeah exactly. a bit strong ottomans <laughs> and the, but the key sort of it, obviously, no territory changed hands because Russia was like, no one. It, we just forget that happened. No. Nothing happens. Everyone back to, the, everyone back to starting <laughs> yeah. positions. Let's, let's the, just reset. Yeah, um, but the key issue was that it showed to Russia that Serbia is a really unreliable partner. Yeah. It can't be relied on to actually free anything or be sort of a you know 
partner in the region yeah, because it's it failed so miserably. Carry the torch, I suppose, yeah. for the pants last. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so from this, they very much pivoted towards Bulgaria as being its preferred option. So mm. as you said, Bulgaria is not an independent state at this point, mm. but it's there's a growing sort of nationalist movement within it. There's various sort of liberation movements happening. And so Russia sees them now as sort of the horse to back in the region. Mm. Um, and and then throughout, effectively throughout 1877, early 1877, mm. Russia's kind of manoeuvring its pieces into into alignment along with the, all this Ignatiev strategy of allowing themselves a free hand in the region. Mm. Um, so it's got now what it hopes is a reliable partner in Bulgaria and the Bulgarian people. And it kind of, in the early 1877, January and March, it does a, a bit kind of a backroom deal with Austria-Hungary, uh, which is to say that it will effectively leave the Western Balkans alone and it won't dominate them and it will allow Austria-Hungary kind of freedom move movement there to shape it yes. or at least not try and turn it against Austria-Hungary. Yeah. And it will just concentrate on the Eastern Balkans and concentrate on Bulgaria yeah. and be a Romania freeing up that that area. Yeah. And then after it's this is kind of been done, in April 1877, it declares war on Russia and uh, sorry, declares war on off the Ottoman Empire and kind of storms in and it, the Russians and Emperor and Tsar Alexander, Tsar Alexander II were kind of hoping for a very quick victory they yeah. kind of expected the Turks just to crumble straight away yeah. and they just freehand just to march into Constantinople yeah. and you know you know, say look at us we've got we've, we're, 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 we're into the Mediterranean yeah, yeah. yeah we've yeah. recaptured the seat of the Orthodox Church yes. and stuff like that yeah. and it was going Byzantine, well yeah. yeah exactly it was all going well up until the point where it ran into the um, the city of Fortress of Plevna which held out for a lot longer than they were thinking of, and it kind of exposed the Russian army as being quite hapless. Yeah. Um, and although it eventually captured the fortress, kind of more than more or less staggered towards Constantinople at this point, and it was quite embarrassing for the Russians because it showed they couldn't really prosecute a large continental war, yeah. even against a really weak power. Yeah. Um, what it did do, though, was basically terrify a lot of Western Europe. So Britain got very concerned about Russia um, having this control of the Straits Access into, the, into the Mediterranean. Mediterranean yeah. 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 So. Um, Britain sent a fleet over to Constantinople to say, stay out, effectively. Yeah. Um, Austria-Hungary got very annoyed because, although Russia had said it was staying out of the Western Balkans, it was actually sending its troops through there and it looked like it was going to start um, messing around with it. Yeah. So they were immediately on, on, the, sort on, the of, on the alert to see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and Russia, obviously, it hadn't achieved a lot of what it wanted, but um, it kind of then decided we need a treaty um, to try and shore up our gains, yeah, try and try and legalise our gains, try and show that we've actually gone to war for something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it started off, and they say, they come to a place called San, 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 San Stefano. San Stefano. Yeah. And, well, uh, yeah. they basically dish out a shed load of land to Bulgaria as a reward for helping them, don't they? Yeah, so... If um, I, go on. No, so basically it kind of went into the treaty with two things. It wanted opening of the Black Sea yes. um, and... Bulgaria established as a power. Yeah. Um, very quickly, it realised they didn't actually have a Black Sea fleet. I was going to say, is a, to take is a it power, is a, being a power is obviously like a, a badge of honour in this. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so basically, it's, it's ideal it's like one. Official of, things. Like, yeah. Yeah, stamp and everything. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like original thing of wanting access into the Mediterranean was kind of shot down because they realised they didn't have any ships there to actually take advantage of this. Yeah. And also, they realised it would be, it would never get past Britain. Um, so they went all guns blazing for the second one, which is to establish Bulgaria as a big power, establish it as a regional sort of player. Yeah. Um, Turkey obviously couldn't do anything really to resist the um, yeah. the, the terms treaty, because yeah, it couldn't. Yeah. One, it, it didn't have the means well, to, to invade, fight on its it own. Have to invade Bulgaria. Yeah, and kind of like force yeah. everything back. But um, 
Yeah, so Bulgaria itself was a, was um, established, Greater Bulgaria, yeah. as we could call it, um, 176,000 square kilometers. Yeah. So yeah, it's 176,000 square kilometers. It had yeah. access to the Adriatic Sea, Mediterranean Sea, and the Black Sea, um, which yeah, which yeah, three seas. It was basically just spread across the entire Balkan yeah. Peninsula. Um, it was just vast. Um, added to this, it, Montenegro made some large territorial gains. Uh, Serbia made some small territorial gains. Romania had its independence confirmed yes. and had some territory exchanged here and there. Yeah, um, Bulgaria, yeah with Bulgaria yeah, and yeah. got another bit in compensation, which they weren't too happy about. But, yeah. And then also... also that... <laughs> it's really funny. And this is probably the reason why it's also, so, yeah, why it's also messed up. So they just kind of swap these bits of land yeah. around, and the people living there are just like, "Oh, okay, the border's over there now." <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, we're not Bulgarians, we're Romanians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Russia made some gains in the Caucasus, which just by the by, yeah, uh, got yeah. to get some more stuff there. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a very popular in Bulgaria. It's still very popular in Bulgaria. The yeah. biggest church, biggest Orthodox church in the world, I think, um, the Alexander Nevsky Cathedral in Sofia is actually dedicated to the troops who lost their lives yeah. in this conflict, and as a, like a mark of honor to. Yeah. You know, this is what brought us our thing. Yeah, also, Alexander II yeah. has a big statue outside the Bulgarian parliament, yeah. um, as again, as in honour of him yeah. basically bringing their independence for yeah. them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't actually that popular anywhere else. So Serbia was very resentful of Bulgaria, and it became huge and yeah. Yeah. was the de facto Slav leader yeah. in the region. Britain disliked Russia's, Russia's influence through Medley. Bulgaria, yeah, and the fact that I think also Britain was having a bit of a, a bit of a prang as well because of the um, because of the usual OCD balance of power situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah. yeah, so it's now seen the fact that Russia can have ac- access through Bulgaria potentially yes. to port sea and the Adriatic Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, potentially threaten supply lines to India. You know the usual sort of thing. Yeah. So they're worried about that. Austria-Hungary, as we said are very concerned about what's going on in the Western Balkans and Russia taking influence there. Romania, just to throw it in, felt they gained very little for actually joining in the war. Yeah. Um, so they were unhappy about it as well. Yeah. So It's not clear where Italy stands. Or yeah, France, exactly. So, yeah. I, with, I, think, I, think, I think Bismarck, uh, Germany was very much like Bismarck thought, hmm, we might be able to get something else. Exactly, yeah. So we'll come into those in a minute. But basically, yeah. the upshot of it was the treaty angered everybody apart from Russia and Bulgaria. Yeah. Austrian, Austrian. I mean, in complete fair. Well, the great. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, if it had just angered the Ottomans, that'd be fine. Yeah. Because what they do. So, yeah. Um, but it angered some of the other great powers, and they decided they. Were yeah. Gonna, yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, Austrian Britain basically then called for a pan-European conference to ratify or yeah. or change the um, what's happened here. Yeah. Um, and so, effectively, this is where the great the um, Congress Berlin Conference comes from. Yeah. Um, it's from that that war, that instability, yes. the fact that. Austria as uh, Ottomans were declining. Yes. Um, and then basically everything coming from that, the Treaty of Santifani was kind of like the 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 sort of the gunshot to say yeah, we yeah. need to do something about it. Yeah. And so from there, looking at sort of not some zooming out from the Balkans, looking at the rest of the great powers, yeah. it's kind of as you've said, it's kind of a bizarre time for them because they're all kind of just flailing about in some instances yeah. in different areas. I always it's kind of interesting to look at it because they all kind of want to get one over on each other. Yeah. But no one quite wants to go to war with each other either. So they're all kind of like trying yeah. to. Well, stab I, each other I think I think back. basically the idea is that they can sort of get away with things because they don't really have to pay. They don't really have any. Mm. They don't really need to. Well, theoretically, they don't really need to sacrifice anything because the great powers are going to enforce whatever happens. So if they get something, then they've sort of got it, and no one can no one can complain because otherwise somebody else will invade them. Yeah. Somebody more powerful will invade them. Um, to enforce the 
the, 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 um, the treaty. Mm-hmm. So as we've seen from the sort of state of play in the Balkans, it's confusion and now huge Bulgaria in the middle of it. Yeah. Everyone's angry. Uh, so um, a, a triumphant Russia as well. Yeah, triumphant Russia. Yeah. But then looking at the other great powers, the effective state of play is Britain, very interested in its empire. Yeah. Still, It's not exactly going to be trying to send armies into Europe, but it still has one eye on what's going on there because of, as we said, balance of power, wanting yeah. to maintain that. Yeah. France has basically been pummeled by um, Germany in the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah. It's kind of licking its wounds a bit. Yes. Um, Austro-Hungary, as we said, it's kind of reeling from twin defeats by Prussia, um, yeah. as was, and Germany as is yeah. now, and yeah. Italy. So it's looking for it's kind of looking to reposition itself. Yeah. But it's also um, facing opposition from the hung- ethnic Hungarians who don't yeah. want it to reposition itself um, and denigrate their yeah, influence within the it's empire. It's sort of almost like being fragmented slightly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think also France and Austria-Hungary are sort of the flying players for the Catholic interest in the area, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, not that there is a huge one, but Catholic, there is a, you know, their populations at home, strongly Catholic, are strongly keen on them having some kind of influence over the, the holy places yes. still. Yeah. And then, as you said, um, Russia, at this point, it's kind of a twin thing of it's got a good goodish treaty out of this war but it's also been made to look a bit silly yeah. by the fact that armies kind of disintegrated by doing yeah, it yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as you said Italy is just there exactly new kid at the table um, <laughs> but, uh, the, in, the one I think we should probably spend a little bit of time on now yeah. is Germany so yeah. obviously the appearance as we've said I think throughout many episodes the appearance of Germany yeah. really redesigned the balance of power in Europe yeah. because it was a suddenly new powerhouse yeah. um in there, announced itself with two quick victories against yeah. its neighbours, Austria and France. I, I also and think then, there was a there was a certain element to Germany because it was led by Bismarck. It was slightly unpredictable as well. Yes, it's not like Russia where you think, oh, okay, you know, they're going to be, um, they're going to be sort of backing. But, you know, up until this, I feel that there's a there's a there is a, there is a sort of a fault line between sort of Russians and the Austrians and the Ottomans and and some sometimes some French as well a bit, where really you know. Part of their demo, you know, the, the demographic they're trying to appeal to at home is, is a religious one, whereas Bismarck isn't really like that. It's just kind of what you know, the country, what the country, needs yeah, to like, or whatever he decides. Almost, yes, I think, yeah. Well, how, um, how can he? How can he sort of manoeuvre all the others bit together? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the Germany's interesting because it's it's notionally allies with both Russia and Austria yeah. in what's called the Three Emperors League. Yes, and I think the the ability of Germany to kind of balance these two powers and not get sucked into a war between them yeah. is what's key in this conference yeah. um, because they are very worried that um, they're going to basically have to see in Austria's angry yeah. about Russia's influence in the Western Balkans yeah. and they're coming almost to loggerheads so yeah. Germany's kind of trying to avoid being caught in the middle between these two ailing great powers yeah. um, and equally it's although it's kind of pummeled France it's also made France quite a dangerous enemy in terms of not on its own but if it allies with somebody else yeah. if Germany angers either Russia or Austria, it kind of hands France a continental ally, yeah. which could encircle yeah. uh, Germany. Yeah, Germany yeah. Um, so that's kind of one thing it's trying to It's avoid. funny, isn't it? Because it's almost like the uh, setting the stage of the First World War. Yeah, completely. Um, but, but quite a long term in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can see, you can definitely see the, the seeds being Before sown almost. Before went completely bonkers, I think, yeah. as well. Yeah, go on. So yeah, uh, this kind of like, so yeah, this, conf- this kind of massive instability in the Balkans, coupled with a, this weird sort of dance the great powers are playing with each other, yeah, yeah. kind of leads on to as you said, Berlin Con- Congress. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned, it's happening in Germany, the new kid on the, the, the new kind of big power on big the block. Power, yeah. um, well, I think they're, they're basically the dominant one, aren't they? Because they just 
beaten everybody. Yeah, they've 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 pulled everyone in their in their yeah. sort of in their reach. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, they've basically been handed the idea of being the honest broker of this um, situation because yeah. they don't really have a dog in the race. Yeah. Um, Bismarck famously apparently said it's the, the region's not worth the bones of a single Pomeranian grenadier. So he has the, he has the only thing he really wants at this point is to not upset the power between Austria and Russia too badly so there's yeah. a war. Yeah. He doesn't really want any territorial gains. He doesn't really want anything to change hands. He just wants basically the situation to resolve itself and that's yeah. kind of why the Congress happens in Berlin. So that's kind of like Germany's issue is to basically Preserve keep stability. peace and yeah. stability yeah. and not hand France another ally yeah. to potentially hit them with um russia as we've seen has made these big gains within the treaty of san Stefano, so it wants to kind of guarantee them as much as possible yeah. but it's equally it's kind of a bit concerned about the pan-slavist element that it's yeah. sparked off yeah. yeah um so obviously the people who are in charge of the congress here prince alexander gorkachev hmm. um he is someone who wasn't keen on pan-slavism so he's not exactly like rushing to defend it yeah. um, so they want to defend their games but they don't want it. it's not like a hill they want to die on or anything yeah, like that yeah, yeah, yeah. they need to be seen to make a, a stand I think that's potentially as in, as in it's sort of like we'll, we won't we, yeah we won't we won't die. yeah if it disappears then we won't bother, we won't be too worried yeah we want something there yeah. but we're not going to like, like in, in public we're supportive yeah we don't, we're not going to go to yeah. war to yeah, stop it to hopefully stop it, yeah. um, but um, I don't know where I'm going um, well um so, you've talked about Russia and Germany. Yeah. Well, um, Austria? Yeah, so Austria, as you said, is in that weird complex position of yeah. where it, externally it seem, it needs to kind of find a role again because yes. it's, yeah. as much as Russia, it's kind of I think it's, it's down. almost like the, the mid-European Ottoman Empire, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of, um, the Ottomans and the Austrians still have a very similar context. They're sort of gradually collapsing mm. on themselves. Um, and various countries are popping up around them that are more, more powerful. Yeah, and it's need, it needs a new new to new outlet, a new area yeah. to dominate. It's kind of the Austrian court has earmarked Bosnia Herzegovina as being this potential sphere of influence they can start yeah. now bullying. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the the Hungarians are very, as you said, are very not keen on this because they don't want any more Slavs coming in and taking their position as the yes. second power. So pulled in two directions. Yeah, exactly. So and it's yeah. got to kind of try and balance these, and equally, it's got to. I wonder whether as well there is there is that because of the because of the double sort of dual dual, pole, dual nature of it is the the Hungarians are saying no oh, don't do anything but the Austrians you know the you know the, the Austrian demographic in Austria are sort of like uh, well you know get in there and yeah get us something get us something yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah so they yeah it also it's also got this concern about this other the other ailing empire of Russia coming in sort of like swiping its yes. influence out of the yeah. Balkans and here you know, it's suddenly the Russian sea appearing on Austria's shore and that type yes. of thing so again it doesn't really want a war because yeah. it's not really strong enough to fight yes. a war but there is the potential they could get dragged into it so that's the interesting thing at the moment that none of them really want to fight each other but yeah. they're all kind of again World War One esque being potentially dragged into this conflict. That, that none of them are really w- ready for. Yeah, it's, or... it's, it's amazing, really, when you think about it, that World War One actually happened from this perspective. Because like at least three of these countries are not even worth. The yeah, sort of like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, shouldn't really be able to fight yeah. a long war. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are exactly worth propping up. Yeah, like that. yeah. But it's all again. But, it's but all... I suppose they all end up fighting each other in the first World War, so it doesn't really matter. Does it? Yeah. So they're all at the same level. Yeah, <laughs> see, they're all dragged down to each other's horrific level. Yeah. Um, Britain and France, Britain and uh, Germany, like I mean. the industrial Britain, France, powers. and Germany, all fight fight each other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, yeah, then yeah, in yeah, Russia, Austria, Hungary, 
and the Ottomans all fight each other. Yeah. But I suppose Italy's involved as well. But anyway, yeah. But they switch sides, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's good, yeah. Otherwise, you'd have an odd number on each side. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. But yes, yeah, so um And then, obviously, you've got France, which is kind of a, it's that power that's. It's a power with a massive grudge against Germany. Yeah, yeah. But can't really fight it on its own. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it's a weird one because it's it's got a stake in, in the Ottomans surviving yeah. because it's a massive credit to the Ottomans. Yeah, yeah. And equally, it wants the region to be stable because it's looking to <laughs> looking to gain territory in the Middle East yeah, and like carve yeah. out bits of influence again for itself. So yeah, it has a yeah. say like it has a sort of stake in there being no yeah, war. Yeah. But equally, trying to gain some sort of ally with it with Russia. or or yeah. Austria-Hungary potentially to get one over on Germany. Yeah, yeah, I um, can see sort of you can see a manoeuvring for future influence yeah. against Germany. Yeah, yeah, and especially so, since they were so comprehensively humiliated. I mean, that was part of the reason why um, I think why the Treaty of Versailles was so aggressive, wasn't it? Well? Yeah, because the yeah. French were so pissed off. Yeah, it's like lingering stuff. things. Yeah. yeah. Um, the interesting thing about actually about just nurse that, that yeah. revenge impulse. For well, I think yeah, it, 50 years, well, it has because I mean, like years. their their plan going into World War One was all about going into Alsace Lorraine, yeah. which was obviously the territory they'd been taken from them. Yeah. So it's like they just never let it go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's France basically. Is again, we're not again, we're not really powerful enough to fight against our main rival, which is yeah. Germany. Yeah. But we want to try and get one over on them. Yeah. And equally, we want to try and expand our influence in another area. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. again, it's that type of thing of just. You know, we don't want to fight. We also want to get one over on whoever we can. Yeah. And then, so the last one really is Britain, um, which is the preeminent power. It's not going to be able to fight a continental war. I mean, without you, a, you call it the preeminent. Why, why do you call it the preeminent power? Just because it's the it's it's still although Germany's catching it, yeah. it's still the industrial powerhouse right, yeah, in yeah. terms of Europe. Yeah. Ter- although it's not dominating the continent, I do feel it's kind of untested. I feel, but yeah, you're, you're right. But it's got that view of. You know, it's got the largest in terms of land mass of being able to yeah. call itself in terms of an empire. Right. Again, yeah, it's, true. again, it's industrial yeah. efforts that still outstripping everybody else. Yeah. Although, as we said, you know, Russia's not really competition. Yeah. France is, but it's it's not powerful enough. Germany's catching, but it's not yeah. near enough. But it's still the big power, especially in terms of sea power. Yeah. It's not going to be able to like prosecute a continental war on yeah. its own without yeah. a, without a sort of land ally. Land ally. Yeah. Um, but it's still the big one to watch and it's still the one that's watching the rest of the, yeah, con- the continent yeah. with kind of like eager eyes. Yeah. Um, I mean, eager eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of kind of concern about exactly where Russia's influence is going. Yeah. What exactly is going to happen in terms of balance of power on the continent? Is it going to threaten links over to India? Is it going to threaten, you know, are they Russian going to be able to dominate the Mediterranean? That type yeah. of thing, which Britain kind of sees as its backyard. Are they going to try and invade Canada again? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yeah. that's quite a long shot. Point, <laughs> is it all kind of like smoke yeah. and mirrors, and they're actually going in through, yeah, our... <laughs> through Alaska yeah. and uh, whatever? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the main countries involved yeah. in the Congress in terms of great powers. They're all watching each other, yeah. all trying to get one over on each other. No one really wants a war at this point. Yeah. No one has the sort of drive to force a war through, or indeed in many countries, the actual ability to prosecute a long war. And so, I think from there we have to talk about these sort of personalities and what. Yes. In particular about Britain, what how the country itself, the people itself, well, viewed I think, I think, what was going on. I'm, I imagine it's probably the same in most of the other countries, but Britain is an interesting one because you've got two very prominent politicians, uh, well, unsurprisingly, on different sides of the aisle, sort of projecting different parts of public opinion. You've got the Gladstone side, which are um, Gladstone published a pamphlet, sort of in this in the in the run up to the Congress, and they, sorry, in the run up to um, yeah, in the run up to the Congress. Uh, about the basically the atrocities of the Ottoman Empire on Christians in the Bulgarian region, um, so they were very much you know but ultimately you know, the um, I suppose you would say pro-Russian, but they were sort of anti-Ottoman hmm. 
anti-Osman, essentially. Yeah, I think that was the, the it wasn't so much pro-anyone, but it was as yeah. you said, more anti. Yeah, I, mean, I think Osman it's, it's, almost, it's almost like very, very early, you know, unusually for Gladstone, sort of um, humanitarian interventionism, mm. basically, which is very sort of Tony Blair-esque, isn't it? But uh, anyway, um, and then you've got Disraeli, who is like the opposite in the sense, not because he's supporting the other side, but because he doesn't support anybody mm. and he just wants to make sure there's a sort of balance between the Russians and the Ottomans. I think, um, amusingly, the, 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 sort of, the, the really vicious hatred that there is between Disraeli and Gladstone comes out in this episode in the sense that it's kind of... Gladstone doesn't like Disraeli because Disraeli doesn't have any principles and Disraeli hates Gladstone because Gladstone does have principles. It's kind of, kind of quite bizarre. And mm. as you might imagine, Disraeli and Bismarck got along famously. Um, but um, I think you were going to say about the um, about the Russian... Oh, yeah, there's, there's one other oh, person Russian, to sorry. mention. Sorry, Bismarck himself. Sorry. Well, yeah, there's one other person to mention in British politics. So you've got oh, yeah. Gladstone, who's basically leading the kind of the voice of the opposition at this yeah. point. Disraeli, or I think Lord Beaconsfield, as he's become, is, is, <laughs> yes, in his second term as Prime Minister now, just newly minted kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and is kind of pushing for this... This Congress, and also you've got Robert Cecil, the third Marquis of Solbury, which yeah. is kind of a grand the title. Lord yeah, Lord Salisbury, yeah. who is the Foreign Secretary this time, and he's kind of a big player in the Disraeli part in Disraeli's own party. That's interesting. Who doesn't particularly like Disraeli? Yeah, um, well, he's he's um he's the one who coined the term glorious isolation, isn't he? Yes, yeah. He went. Yeah. He'd go on after this to be Prime Minister three yes. times, and then he was like, after this point, I think he was like the key the key man in yeah. British politics, and as yeah. you said, glorious isolation, that type of stuff. Yeah, um, but he. As with um, Gladstone, actually, criticised Israeli for lacking principles and convictions yes. um, prior to this. Yeah. And as the Congress appeared, um, Salisbury was a big driver on having a Congress, and he kind of criticised the differences with yeah. Israeli to show a united front. There's a bit of um, disagreement over who should represent Britain at the Congress. In the end, they both went, but I think Salisbury <laughs> wanted to represent them rather than Israeli. And Israeli yeah. was like, no, you're not going, I'm, I'm in charge yeah. here. Yeah. I think we're both, we'll both go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, yeah, they, 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 they rode off over to the Congress. Disraeli um, apparently took four days to get there, which was shown as being very slow because Victoria was worried about his health. Uh, Queen Victoria was worried about right. his health, so he had to take the journey very slowly. And as you said, they met the the other big guy of the conference yeah. when they first the arrived. Big name on the campus. Um, yeah, big name on campus. The newly minted yeah. Chancellor of Germany. The Iron Chancellor. The Is Iron Chancellor of the German yeah. Empire. Yeah. Otto von Bismarck. Yeah, indeed. Do so you want to say a bit about him? The, uh, the, the heartless... Oh, no, the heartless geopolitician is actually what he called Disraeli, would you believe? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they... So they uh, um, yeah, Disraeli... But, you know, the sort of the consummate realpolitik politician who's sort of united Germany by blood and iron and obviously wouldn't hesitate probably to unite something else as well. As long as it suited Germany, uh, probably, anything, or yeah, him. Like. Anything that got in his way, he would unite. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, sort of... Um, it just, they, they didn't just... I think they basically just... Well, Bismarck especially just thought it was about everybody else. Mm. Well, I think he was very much sort of like he's the big dog now kind yeah. of thing like I mean he's... obviously yeah, I mean I keep, keep we keep saying these things like oh he obviously thought this he obviously thought that I mean his actions show that he just had this sort of just general contempt basically yeah, yeah. and as, as, we'll show, as we'll see Cliff I saw a spoiler alert Cliff, for the next yeah, episode yeah, yeah. yeah he didn't sort of uh, mince his words whilst he was chairing the Congress yeah. and anyone who disagreed with him was very very um, shall we say swiftly put in their place yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as you said um him and, um, just as a sort of ending on the, everyone coming together, him and Disraeli got on very well with each other. They kind of yes. like had a good rapport. 
he called it Disraeli. He apparently referred to Disraeli as the the old Jew. That's the man. Yes, kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not yeah. sure whether the first bit is exactly the nicest yeah. of phrases, but I mean, for I mean, I mean, on, 19th it's century, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's probably men in banterish. Yeah. yeah, it's not exactly. Um... He could have said worse things about about yeah, yeah, history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, um, and he was clearly meant as endearment. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, you read yeah. the second bit as well. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it was pretty common parlance back then. Yeah. yeah. And he apparently he also um, Bismarck was not a fan of Salisbury, calling him obstinate, maladroit, and a clergyman. I'm not sure exactly exactly what the end bit. <laughs> well, how it's, it's because it, because um, oh, he didn't then, like. He didn't... I mean, he said the same about Bernstein, a pious Christian moralist. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's basically just someone who actually has an as a moral. Okay, well, yeah, compass, yeah. essentially, it's just like, well, uh, you know, I think How it, dare uh, he? It, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's interesting because as we said in the, um, um, it's, it's very easy, I think it's very easy to be kind of cynical about, I mean, nowadays, obviously, it's very easy to be cynical about sort of Everything. politicians, essentially, because cause they're just kind of, they're just there, aren't they? Mm. Um, whereas back in this period, there is a sort of, there are politicians who are rising to the fore, like Salisbury and uh, Gladstone, who clearly have strong convictions like morally about what they think is right and wrong based on a sort of religious and traditional mindset mm. um and they try and they and they and they lead by that example um but then but then you also have this sort of more you know i would say more 20th century style politician coming through like disraeli uh, and like uh, bismarck yeah the more hard-nosed kind of as yeah they say, as they say realists yeah yeah and, and they, they have no they have no sort of qualms about doing X, Y, and Z if it means mm. that the consequences afterwards are positive for them, or not for them, but for their country, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, there is there is the element that they're still loyal to their nation or whatever. Mm. Um, and actually, a uh, quick insight for you, which I've just sort of connected in my head, um, some people quite, quite readily connect the scientific revolution and the gradual uh, sort of, um, sort of the... Um, what would you call it? The the tide going out essentially of Christianity, with why the First World War hit when it did, mm. because all of these politicians that had actual sort of moral convictions sort of basically disappeared. Oh, they lost their way. Or left then, the yeah. real politic politicians mm. who had no qualms about basically just like going. Yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. Actually. I mean, then it, you yeah, could say it's a take. Yeah, it is, and then you could say almost like it, re- not rebalance itself, but everyone saw the the potential worst consequences of that. Probably should pause it now. For my no, it's <laughs> no, fair. Everyone, everyone could say after that, everyone could see the worst consequences of this sort of strand strategy. Of yeah, yeah. This, this type of leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah so um, kind of like that's where we're going to leave it on this yeah, episode absolutely. in terms of these. What happens next? The, exact, the, the Congress of Berlin, episode two. Leading up to a bit of so just to obviously round off, you've got as we've been through the episode traces, you've got instability being kind of brought on by the. Re- re- receding of one great yes. empire yeah, in the yeah. Ottomans um, nationalism pan-Slavism all like yeah. into a melting pot Russians trying to great powers basically then all dive in to try and take what they can effectively yes. and then we're left at this conference being run by the sort of realists amongst yes. them so being you know, so Disraeli and yeah. Bismarck looking to see exactly how they can position this congress to be as beneficial to one themselves but Equally trying to balance out yeah. everybody. Well, I think so that, it, it is that is a it is, it is a self interest to sort of make sure that everybody else is hamstrung, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. exactly. So that's yeah. that's where we're going to leave it now. Sort of on uh, yeah. just uh, you know, Bismarck and Israeli, the two big men of the conference, yes. meeting each other, liking each other, and then next time we'll talk about exactly how yeah. the conference went and what its ramifications were for yeah. the Balkans and Europe and the world as a sort of wider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
because there are there are elements that this sort of shock way they sort of resonate out from this, don't they? So mm. all the know. way to nineteen fourteen. Indeed. So um, tune in next yeah. week for that. Obviously, you can't really tune in because it's not a radio show. But <laughs> just listen, please. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes History. If you want more, you can follow our social media posts on at FOH Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. Plus, have you ever wondered what kind of statesman you would be back in the 19th century? Well, now you can find out. Visit the Footnotes of History personality quiz at footnotesofhistory.com slash pmquiz.